0: I absolutely firmly believe that God has a plan for our lives. Um, I'm not sure, could we, uh, this just seems a bit like ringy to me or a bit, um, sorry, a bit echoey. So if, I'll just get Noah to just play with those levels for a minute. But I I do believe that God has a plan for our lives uh, and it's mentioned all throughout the Bible. Um, but it's first mentioned in Exodus chapter 6, and we're currently doing a series uh, as a church called The Four Cups. Uh, I started the, uh, the series about a fortnight ago, and uh, we talked about the, the promises of God and so on. And uh, one of the promi- or four of these promises are actually held within this particular passage that we're going to be looking at this morning out of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. Quite often these are called the four I wills of the Bible of what God is going to do for us. And it says here in this passage, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, God says, and I will be your God. And then you will know I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And it's our, our uh, belief that God's plan for us involves us being saved. It's salvation. It involves salvation. It, it involves freedom, that there's freedom. And you need to write these in your notes, these particular words. There's restoration, and there's fulfillment. So there's salvation, there's freedom, there's restoration, and there is fulfillment. God wants to get us out of Egypt. That's salvation. He wants us to live in freedom. That's getting Egypt out of us. He wants us to to experience restoration. That's where we come into uh, an alignment with our life purpose. We actually know why we're here on the earth. And then he wants us to live a life of fulfillment. And that's where uh, we see a subtle shift in this particular passage where the first three promises are all about what I'm going to do in you. But then he says something, he's going to do something about us as a people. And fulfillment is actually helping others to, uh, to walk in life, to help other people, to come into an alignment where we actually are living for something beyond ourselves. We're living to help other people, to come alongside of other people, serve other people, to draw out the potential in the life of someone else. And that's what we believe that this, this whole process is all about. The Four Cups gives us actually the progression of everything that God wants to do and knowing this actually helps us to set some spiritual goals in our lives and for our futures. You know, sometimes we need to know that we need to, to get out of Egypt. We need, to be, we need salvation. There's also this area of freedom where we need to get Egypt out of us. And this is not something that we sort of like say, well, I've done that once and you know, we just move on. If We're still struggling with the sin nature. We're still stuck in this area of freedom here. We need to work on areas of our life before we take the step of moving into our purpose. We need to deal with these areas so that we're, we've got a handle on what God wants to do through us so that we can do with complete freedom and liberty the thing that God's called us to do. And then we start moving from uh, that, that hearing of knowing what he, he wants us to do so that we can help other people discover what God wants to do in their life. And that's this process that God, that God wants us to go on. It's this whole thing of, of showing us this progression. And, and new believers need to understand this. And, that, and I've said this before, it's actually one of the reasons we're working on the infused Church Growth Track. We're actually trying to uh, put this together right now so that we can take people on this journey. So that people come to the church, they, uh, they uh, integrate with what we're trying to do here. And we start to say to them that this is the journey that we're going on. This is what we're believing that God is going to do in your life. So people can know, you know what? Uh, maybe this is the church that I need to be a part of or not. But it's about knowing where they're going so that they can make that determination for themselves. Someone helped me a great deal once. They said that church is like a bus. You know, A church has a vision, we know where we're going, we know what the destination is. Sometimes people get on and sometimes people get off. It's just about the destination that we're going to and that's, that's fine. That helped me a great deal in understanding why people come and why people go and, and stuff like that but it's a part of what we're doing right now is aligning ourselves with what we believe is the spiritual journey that God wants to take us on In these four key promises, the four key areas of what uh, God has said in this particular passage. So, this passage of scripture from Exodus is actually read during the annual Passover. It's where the four cups of wine actually reveal the four promises that God made to his people. So, here's the question of the day, I guess it's why did God reveal these promises in the four cups of the Passover? Well, I think before we can answer that question, we need to answer the question is what is the Passover? And, you know, we're going through that as a church on Thursday evening. Now, I want to make it clear here. It's not like you're not going to sit down to a a leg of lamb and roast potatoes, roast pumpkin and and stuff like that. This is a sample of each of those areas to give us a picture of what the the Passover meal is all about. But I, I believe that this morning is going to help us to appreciate Thursday evening so much more because we'll start to understand exactly what each part of the Passover represents for us. So most of you have probably seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, the whole deal. Okay, I showed my age right there. Okay, (laughs) that's old school. I'm not sure if it was in color even, I can't remember. Uh, It was in color, okay. Technicolor, it's been redesigned, whatever. But, uh, you know, we see this, uh, this... Uh, thing about Moses you know he was supposedly to have been killed as a child that's what Pharaoh decreed that uh, all the firstborn uh, the the young children young males were to be killed but his mother made actually this vessel for him out of pitch and tar and stuff and she set it loose on the Nile River and uh, put Moses inside this particular thing Uh, and then uh, Moses uh, this he was discovered by one of the the members of uh, Pharaoh's family and uh, so Moses actually grew up in Pharaoh's house Uh, Moses uh, through the process of time realizes that he's a Hebrew and uh, you know he breaks up this fight and he manages to kill someone somehow and you know this freaks him out and he just bolts into the wilderness he just runs away from uh, everything that goes on in that particular area but then all of a sudden he has this burning bush experience Moses in the outback somewhere and and uh, just sees this bush that's on fire and, and it's not like dying down it's not coming into embers it's not withering away it's just burning and he suddenly realized that God's in this speaking to him from this bush out of this this burning bush experience and God gives him this this mandate to be uh, the liberator of his people uh, that are held captive in Egypt so uh, Moses goes back, and you know, despite even the fact that Moses can't speak properly. You know, he's, he's, he's someone who says, I, I can't talk. He's got this stutter problem that, that happens. But you know what? I love it that God uses our weaknesses. You know, So many times throughout the Bible, God uses people that says, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough skill. You think about Gideon. Uh, you think about David, who was even forgotten about by his dad when uh, Solomon, come, uh, whoever it was, came to him and, and just said, uh, it wasn't Solomon, was it? Who was it? Samuel, I knew it started with an S, so um, when Samuel came to anoint, uh, uh, I'm not a theologian, all right, just give you a heads up, okay, but uh, he just came, uh, that's what God uses, he uses the, the people that say they can't do stuff, and that's what, what God used in, in Moses, and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and you know, he says, look, let my people go free, God wants to, to have a, this encounter, he's going to uh, just release these, uh, the, uh, the Israelites from Egypt and so on. And it comes to the point where Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, each time he hardened his heart and there were 10 plagues that came uh, to, uh, to afflict uh, Egypt. And the last one was one where God said uh, that uh, unless uh, uh, you actually put some blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of your, your home, then uh, every firstborn child throughout the land of Egypt was going to be killed whether they were Egyptian or Israelite and I think that's an amazing thing to happen when you start to see and it's the symbolism even of blood on the doorposts and then blood on the lintel and he says that unless you do that then you know they're going to die but if you do that I will pass over that particular house and death won't visit that house and he says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13 but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign Marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And that's where we get this name or this word Passover from. It's where God promised that he would pass over that house because of the blood that was over that house at that particular time on the doorpost and on the lintel. So when the Israelites are free, God gave them then 10 commandments. And part of those commandments were that they were to celebrate certain feasts throughout the year because when you boil it down God's a party animal he loves a good party he, 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 you know I mean so many times in, in scripture you know you see that God wants us to enjoy life God wants us to live a fulfilled life God wants us to, be, to, to have a life of, of, uh, of enjoyment. I mean, so he says that in his word in various places. So we need to understand that you know, God wants us to celebrate things. And Passover is one of the things that he wanted us to celebrate as his people uh, each year. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 to 27. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? What does this Passover mean, dad, mom? Well, you can tell them it's this Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians and then the people bowed down and worshipped. And I think it's an absolute travesty for, for, for myself personally to have gone like over 30 years as a born-again Christian, as a believer in the, in the scriptures and I've never once celebrated Passover. I've never won- and, and I think that very, can I, just a quick show of hands, if you've celebrated Passover, could you just put your hand up please? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven out of what? 80, 90 people? I think that there's something here for us today, especially when we're doing this series about the Passover. So this feast was a reminder of God's plan for these people. See, he says, Remember how I saved you, remember how your life was spared. And in particular, I think that we need to see the Passover from a New Testament perspective. And I'm so looking forward to having Pastor David Helliard on Thursday evening and coming and walking us through the Passover. You know I'm going to tell you right up front you need to be here before seven. Okay? We're kicking this, this baby off at seven o'clock, but you need to be here before seven to find your seat. We're going to have a time of worship praise and worship, then we're going to get Pastor David up to, uh, to, to lead us through the Passover meal. So I really encourage you, get here before seven, get here early. If there's one service you need to get here early for, it's this Thursday, because uh, just really encourage it. It's going to be a great time and you don't want to miss a single moment of it. So, you know, he says, uh, uh, this is God's plan for them. We need to fast forward almost 1400 years where Jesus is then walking the earth and the night before he's crucified is also the beginning of the Passover feast. We need to see the Passover through the eyes of the New Testament. See Jesus instructs his disciples to make a preparation for the Passover meal. Jesus went to the cross on the Friday. The Passover was on the Thursday night. This Thursday is our opportunity to to, to celebrate this. So I just really encourage you. If you haven't booked, you need to book. Bookings are essential. We've got a limited number of of seats that are available and we're close approaching our capacity to be able to do this well. So I just really encourage you, if you haven't got your name in and the numbers that you need, you need to do so. Okay. So this is what Jesus said to his disciples in the preparations and stuff. Actually in this this particular meal, he says in Luke 22, verses 15 to 20. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's the same for us, guys. We're, we're looking forward to being a, as a part of this Passover meal this Thursday. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat again until it's, uh, it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he, he gave thanks and said, this, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We can see here that Jesus himself took two cups of wine during this. There are actually four cups that are involved in the Passover meal, and we'll learn more about that as well. So did you know that Jesus actually did die on the Passover? At Passover, they would sacrifice the lamb at 9 o'clock in the morning. Guess what time that Jesus was crucified? Had the nails in his hands at 9 o'clock in the morning. At 3 p.m., the lamb was put into the oven to be cooked. At 3 p.m., Jesus was taken off the cross and put into a tomb. Silah, pause, think about the implications of it. See, this was intentional because Jesus is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And that's why we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. As a church, we, we take communion most, most weeks. It's a part of what we do and and because we're we're remembering all that Jesus has done for us. Because I believe there's great power in the the communion table in taking the Lord's Supper. It helps us to remember what Jesus has done for us. So why did God reveal his four promises in this Passover? And You'll need to write this in your notes for one reason and one reason alone. And that is to point people to Jesus. God wanted to point people to to Jesus. God's plan for people could never be fulfilled in the Old Testament. So Jesus became our Passover lamb. And to make it possible for the four cups to be fulfilled, he did it by breaking the power of Satan off of our lives. See, Christ is our Passover lamb, church. Christ is our Passover lamb. God's promises can only be fulfilled through his only son, Jesus. Christ is our Passover lamb. So let's talk about this term lamb. What is this lamb thing all about? The lamb is the most often used description in scripture talking about Christ, about Jesus. It's mentioned 104 times in the New Testament alone, over 50% in the first five books as well. So there's over 50 times he's used in the, the first five books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And over 25% in the book of Revelation. So he's talked about 25 p- uh, times in the, uh, the book of Revelation as being the Lamb. So here's an example, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is our Passover Lamb Church. The Lamb used in the Passover had certain characteristics. And they're important because they help us to understand what Jesus has done for us. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, about the instructions that were given by God. So here's three characteristics about the lamb that was used as a part of the Passover celebration. Number one, and you need to write this in your notes, the lamb was spotless. The lamb was spotless. In other words, were the lamb was perfect. There was not a blemish, not a mark. It was completely healthy and whole in every way. There was nothing wrong with this lamb. It was completely spotless. It was perfect. Exodus 12 verse 5 says, The animals you choose must be year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. They had to bring the lamb to the temple for inspection so that the the priest at that time could inspect the the lamb for, for defects and so on. So four days before Passover, and the priest would then inspect that lamb. See, Palm Sunday today, Jesus came into the city. It was four days uh, before the Passover. Why is this important for the lamb to be perfect? And this is the reason why. Because something can't be used if it needs it itself. What I mean by that is this. You can't atone for someone else's sin if you need atonement yourself. That's why Jesus is the only way that we can be truly free of our sin because he's the only way that was spotless, was perfect in every way and takes away the sin of the world. He didn't need anybody to atone for his own sinfulness or anything because he was without sin. I think that's an amazing statement. Jesus is the perfect lamb. He's the only person in history without sin. He's the only one qualified to pay for sin and that's why he's the only way to God the Father. There is no way that you can get to God the Father except through Jesus Christ himself. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 to 19 says, For you know, it was with perishable, uh, with perishable things such as silver or gold you were redeemed. It wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, Christ was spotless. The Lamb of God had to be spotless. Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God for us. Secondly, and you need to write this in your notes, the Lamb was sacrificed. The Lamb was sacrificed. Exodus 12 verse 6 says this, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. I want to suggest to you that it wasn't just a sacrifice, it was a slaughter. I'm going to say something that some may feel very harsh in in what I'm I'm going to say this morning. Easter is not about a holiday or a public holiday. Easter is not about a public holiday church. Easter is about the Son of God, Jesus, and what he did at Calvary for all of mankind. If all you're focused on this coming weekend is a holiday, then I believe that you've lost sight of the true meaning of Easter. And you need to reassign or reassess your priorities in the way that you're looking at this coming weekend. Is that fair to say? Because it's not about a holiday church. It is not about a holiday Jesus didn't die and was not slaughtered so that we can enjoy a holiday. Of all the times in human history that Jesus could have been killed, he was killed at a time when the most barbaric form of death was devised. And it was death by crucifixion. Jesus could have been killed in our day, when in the Western world the the harshest he would probably have got was death by lethal injection. You just fall asleep. Or if you're in the Middle East, it may have been by beheading. But God didn't do that. God sent his son to the cross at a time when death, by capital punishment, was in the cruelest, harshest, most inhuman way possible by crucifixion. You see, crucifixion wasn't about having nails in your hands and in your feet and then through a blood loss, crucifixion was about a struggle for life, that was up on a cross, it was about dying by suffocation and if you're in one of our connect groups, you're going to hear about it, the powerful way that's explained about the significance of the way that Jesus was slaughtered for our sins. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. These have been characterized as the four wounds of the cross. And each one represents and can represent something that's powerful for us. There was the whip. We understand that after the trial, they took him to be scourged. There's a cat of nine tails that was used. There's nine leather straps of rope, that, uh, like leather rope that was that were there. And it, on the ends of it and throughout the, the, this rope, there was tied bone and wire and glass and lead. And then what they used to do was to actually dip that thing in water to make it heavier. And then uh, they used, that's what they used to whip people. And they used to whip them 39 times because 40, they just kill them straight out. So I don't know, you know, they, they, they've got this down to a fine art. They know what they're doing, these Romans. They've figured it out, you know. And uh, you, you, some people say that, that uh, the whips, he had uh, 13 across this shoulder, 13 across this shoulder, and then 13 down the actual length of his spine. And what we understand is that uh, that actually separates this muscle, the tra- trapezius muscle from the, the shoulder so that when he was hung on a cross, His his arms were actually pulled out of their sockets and he couldn't hold himself up. And that's why they they nailed him in the the feet. They were slightly bent so that he had to pull up. (sighs) And that's how it was. Six hours. Six hours. He wasn't sacrificed. He was slaughtered. The lamb was slaughtered, church. We understand then that he was taken into the Praetorian. They'd woven this crown of thorns together and they'd slammed it on his head. Two inches long, some of these thorns. He was blindfolded and beaten and they were, they were mocking him said, Who struck you, Jesus? Why did they do that? Because he took the punishment that brings us peace. That punishment gave power to restore our mind. The power to bring back peace instead of worry and confusion or depression, fear or needing direction. Jesus was punished for our peace. Then he was taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He was nailed to the cross. You know, that's where his arms were actually pulled out of their sockets. It was death by suffocation. And, you know, like to speed that process up, they used to break the legs of the person that was being crucified. Why? Because he was pierced for our transgressions. It's more than just forgiveness. It's for our freedom. Those nails gave power to cleanse our conscience because the hands represent what we do. So it speaks of our guilt. And God takes away the guilt of the world. His heart was crushed. Why? Crushed for our iniquities. And finally at the sixth hour, at three o'clock in the afternoon, he breathed his last. And they would normally have broken the legs of those people that were crucified there. But they could see that something was different about Jesus. So they stuck a spear into his chest cavity and it punctured his heart. And the Bible records that water mingled with blood flowed out of his chest cavity. And doctors say that the only way that this happens is because the heart has already ruptured. Jesus didn't die from the scourging, from the beatings or the nails or blood loss. Jesus died of a broken heart carrying all of our sins, and the weight of the guilt was upon him. Have a, ris- have a listen to Psalm 22, verses 14 to, to 18, and this is not in your notes, so you might need to make a note of this if you want to. This is a, a prophetic psalm of David. He says, My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They pierced my hands and feet and I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and they throw dice for my clothing. What a prophetic picture of what was to come. What a prophetic picture of what was to come. Jesus didn't just die for our sins, he was slaughtered for our sins. And, as, uh, you know, and, and he did all of this for our salvation, for our freedom to restore us to our right Pur- purpose in life and to provide us with a life of fulfillment and that's why we have got to give him everything surely if Jesus has done that for you and for me then we need to give him everything not hold anything back but we need to praise him and worship him with everything that's within us that's why we need to give him everything in fact why don't, why don't right now why don't you just start to say thank you Jesus for what you've done for me why don't we start to praise God right now and thank him for the sacrifice that. That he paid, that he was the spotless, sinless God, uh, the person that we needed to, to die for our sins. Father, we just thank you for that right now. We just praise you. We worship you. We glorify you in the highest for those things that you've done for us. We walk in the victory that you have purchased for us by your sacrifice upon the cross. We thank you for going and enduring through everything that you went through for our sake in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Number three. The lamb was shared. You need to write the word shared in your notes. The lamb was shared. Because quite often at this Passover meal, there were different sized families. And those families that couldn't quite afford to have their own lamb, they went to someone who invited them because they had a a larger family, they had a larger lamb, etc. like that. And they used to invite people over to share the lamb at Passover. And that's what happened in these households as well. In Exodus 12 verse 4 says, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. And so during Passover, others were invited to share the Passover meal. The lamb was shared. If we already know Jesus as lamb, then this is the one thing that Christ asks of us. To share the lamb. We've got to share the lamb, church. You know, we 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 understand what it is to be saved. We understand these things. That now Jesus has said, it's over to you. You've got to share the lamb. This is, you know, Jesus' job was to pay for our sins. Our job is to get the message out. In two Corinthians five nineteen, it says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed to us. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's He saying? Share the lamb. Share the lamb. See, this is our opportunity. We have an amazing opportunity coming up next weekend. And I'm believing God for a miracle weekend next next weekend. See, we've got two special services coming up. We've got Thursday evening at 7pm until 8pm. It's an hour-long service. We're going to jam-pack that hour with significance and power through understanding what it is to go through the Passover meal. But then we've got also Celebration Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday. And I'm believing that it's going to be an incredible time. I'm believing, God, uh, that uh, people will experience salvation, that people will uh, be delivered, that they'll find their purpose for living and they'll start to want and to desire a life of fulfillment. So here's what I want all of us to do next, uh, in this next week or so. First thing I want us to do, number one, pray. Uh, rocket science i want us to pray i want us to pray calling i'm calling the church to prayer during this week now you need to do that in whatever context that you're wanting to do but we need to church we need to pray that's what we can do we can start to to make inroads into the kingdom of darkness by our prayers why because people sit in darkness they're deceived. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, that was my story as, as I was growing up. You know, I, I thought everything was fine in my teenage years. And, and as, a, as a young person, I'd been to church as a child. I'd gone to Sunday school. I'd heard all these great stories that, you know about Goliath and stuff like that. But no one ever shared Jesus with me. No one ever shared Jesus with me. All I had was religion. I was completely deceived. This week we've got to pray that people come out of deception and that we can share the Lamb of God with them. Let's pray for our family. Let's pray for our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, our school friends. Pray that those who are lost and hurting respond positively, that uh, they respond positively to the invitation to come and also to the invitation after the message. Let's pray this week. Secondly, I'm asking us as a church to invite. Just write that in your notes. We need to invite people. Romans 10 verses 13 to 14 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? This is our best opportunity all year long. People inevitably say that they will only go to church for five things. Number one, for a a wedding. Number two, a funeral. Number three is a christening. Number four is Christmas. Have a wild stab in the dark. What number five will be? Easter. Five things. And next weekend, we hit one of those five things where people generally are more open to going to church because it's seen as a religious weekend. And I believe that as they come into this atmosphere that we've had this morning and that we've enjoyed this morning, that God can get the message through that He's alive and wants a relationship with them and we can see people saved and born again. Amen? Amen. We need to believe that we can do something by that. We can invite people into this incredible atmosphere. And number three. This is what I'm asking us. This is our opportunity. We're going to pray. We're going to invite. And number three, we're going to participate. We're going to participate. It's the last thing I'm asking us to do. Have a listen to this. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, it says, In a loud voice they sang. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What were they were doing? They were participating. They were singing. They were rejoicing. They were praising. They were worshiping. Church, let's participate next weekend. It might be a holiday, but you know what? It's not a holiday from Jesus. It's not a holiday from the things that we love to do and that we're committed to doing. It might be a time off, a public holiday, where you feel like you can get away from it all. But let's invite and participate in what God wants to do in this place next weekend. I want us to come to the Easter services next weekend and celebrate like we've never done before because Jesus is worthy of celebrating. God is worthy of celebration next Weekend, It touches those who will be visiting. When we come into an atmosphere where people are just lost in God and praising and worshipping Him, it says something to the people that come and that they visit. Let's serve with all of our heart. Let's make people feel welcome. Let's take ownership of this celebration next weekend. I want us all to come and to participate. Because here's the reason why. This is your church. This is your celebration. And it's an opportunity to share the Lamb of God with someone next week. Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand. I want to pray for four people, four types of people this morning. I want to pray for those who you don't know how you got here this morning. You don't know how you got here this morning. But maybe you know that you're lost or that you've drifted away. I want to pray that you experience true salvation this morning. You enjoy... Salvation. You come into a relationship with Jesus or you rededicate your life to Him if you've wandered away. Next pers- group of people I'd like to pray for is you're stuck. You struggle to break free of some things that are hindering your walk with God. I want to pray for freedom for you this morning. You're struggling with your sin nature. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, don't feel bad about that. We all do at some level. It's... <laughs> That's just a a, a reality of life at times. I want to pray for you this morning. Third group of people I want to pray for. You're saved, you're free, you're, you're following the Holy Spirit in the things that you're doing, but you're searching for your purpose in life. I want to pray for restoration for you. And the fourth group of people I want to pray for is this. You know why you're here on the earth but you want to take your life to a whole new level, to make a difference in the lives of others, I want to pray that you start to discover and walk out a life of fulfillment. So the first group, you've got maybe no idea how you got here this morning. You've never opened up your heart to, to Christ, you've never invited Him in to be your Lord and Savior, or perhaps you have, but you've wandered away and and that you know that you're in a backslidden state this morning. Would you like me to pray for you? I'd like If you want to ask Jesus into your heart to, so that you actually surrender your life to him this morning. Once more or for the first time. Would you put your hand up because I'd love to pray for you. I don't know where everyone comes from this morning. I don't know where you're at in terms of your walk with God. But maybe you need to make things right this morning. Is there anyone here this morning who can pray in that area? Just put your hand up nice and tall so that I can see it and then put it down. Okay. Second group of people, you're stuck, you're struggling to break free. This morning, I want to pray for freedom for you. To walk in complete freedom, to find deliverance, to get Egypt out of you. Is there anyone here this morning? You say, Pastor Gary, would you pray for me in that area? Is there anyone this morning? Put your hand up nice and tall. Again, you know, don't feel bad about it. God just offers us no condemnation. There's no condemnation here this morning. Simply saying and recognizing a state of being, saying, God, I need that in my life. Is there anyone here this morning? Just pray for that. Okay. Third group is simply... That people would discover their purpose, the reason for being on this planet. I want to pray for you. If you, you're struggling to know what your purpose is, you don't know why God has got you here on this earth, put your hand up nice and tall so I can say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I would pray. Open the eyes of our understanding. Make it clear. Give us prophetic words or refresh those words that we've had in the past that we can understand and know and walk into the very purpose for our lives. Father, I pray that in this coming week, that you'd speak powerfully into the lives of these people who've raised their hands. In Jesus' name. Then the fourth group of people. You know why you're here, but you want them to take things to a whole new level. And you're wanting to help others to find their purpose in life, to help others to find salvation, to help others find freedom, to help them live an incredible life, a life of fulfillment. That's what you want for your life, is a life of fulfillment. And you're wanting direction and knowing how to do that. Can I ask you to put your hands up this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people who've raised their hands. And I ask you that you would show them How they can start to call out destiny and potential and possibilities in the lives of others. How they can help others walk into a life of purpose. How they can help others find salvation. How they can help others find freedom and deliverance from the things that they're in. Father, take these lives to a whole new level. Lord, step it up in the area of hanging on to you in faith. And sometimes they're going to wonder, what on earth have I just put my hand up for? But I believe that God, you'd speak into them and you'd empower them to live an incredible life of fulfillment in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you.